My granddad Strazina was a deeply religious man. He always said that he would come back as a spirit to watch over us and take care of my grandma. He was over the moon when my middle brother Alexander was born. He was the first boy that my parents had, and he was overjoyed that the Strazina name would live on through Al. However, my grandfather had a serious and aggressive case of Alzheimer's, and from diagnosis to his passing, it was only six weeks. We rushed back to England from California so we could have Al baptized. It wasn't so much for us, but more so that my granddad could be there and witness his pride and joy become anointed and given to the Lord. He was already fading at the service. I remember him crying, so full of joy and yet riddled with the knowledge that he would never be there to watch Al grow up. A few weeks later, we flew back to England for his funeral. Al was only two, so he didn't attend the service, but he was present at the wake afterwards. He was running around my grandparents' house, happy as can be, blissfully unaware of the bleakness of the occasion. That is, until he ran into the kitchen, turned sheet white, pointed at my grandfather's empty chair, and began to scream. His whole body went rigid, and he was absolutely inconsolable. My mom took him into the other room, and as soon as the chair was out of sight, he relaxed. Everyone was convinced that he saw my grandfather. After all, he had already told us he would be coming back. Years later, when Al was about four, my parents and I were curled up on their bed one Saturday morning chatting. They were drinking tea, and I was asking them what we would be up to over the weekend. All of a sudden, Al came in, hopped onto the bed with us, looked directly at us and said, Granddad came to visit me last night. No one spoke. We were all too shocked. Al was two when he passed. He had zero memories of him. And as a four-year-old, he didn't understand the concepts of the afterlife either. Finally, he spoke again and said, He came to my room and pointed at the cross on my wall. He said it was once his and he made it. Then we played chess together. He spoke to me in a funny language. And then we drank tonic water. I really liked the tonic water. Can you buy me some, please? We were absolutely floored. The cross on the wall had been made by my granddad. But Al didn't know that. We didn't have a chess set in the house. My grandfather was Polish, but also spoke five other languages. And he loved tonic water, a drink we never had as none of us liked it. Needless to say, whatever we had had planned for that Saturday was set aside so we could get Al a chess set and a case of tonic water. I absolutely believe that our loved ones can and do come back to us. Sometimes it's obvious, and other times it's subtle. You catch a whiff of their cooking or their perfume, hear their voice give you advice, or simply just feel their presence. But other times, I wonder if we so badly want it to be our loved ones that we excuse activity away as just being grandma. But what if it isn't her? 
What if it's something darker, more sinister, and totally unrelated to you? And welcome to episode 27 of The West London Witch, a podcast where we share stories about those moments where we find ourselves very much not alone. There is nothing I love more than a haunted house. Home is such a precious place, and the idea that there are things inside of your home outside of your control chills me. So I was absolutely delighted when a listener wrote into the show to tell me about her haunted home. Lauren is from my hometown of Bakersfield, California. We didn't know one another, but in true Bakersfield fashion, it turns out that our brothers actually ran cross country together. She came upon the West London Witch when a friend of hers sent it to her, and she was kind enough to write in and share this very puzzling story with us. And it's a story we don't really have a concrete answer to, which means that you get to weigh in. Have a listen. See what you think is going on in this very normal family home. I'm Rebecca Strazina, and this is The West London Witch. Episode 27, Conflicted. Um, my family is very small. It's just my my parents, my younger brother and I, my younger brother is three years younger than I am. Up until we bought this house in 2002, we lived on our family ranch. And uh, this is a family ranch that's belonged to my dad's family for over a hundred years at this point. Um, and we lived on a, a plot of land that was beautiful, absolutely gorgeous, but our house was like maybe 500 square feet. But I never felt like we didn't have. I never felt like we didn't have what we needed. It, it never felt like it was too little or anything like that. It was wonderful. When we lived out on the family ranch, um, as you can imagine, it's pretty far away from other houses, other people, the road. Um, it was very, very quiet. You know, we had at night when you slept, you'd have the moon shining in through your window and um, you might hear like a coyote walk by the window or you might hear um, a rattlesnake down the road or something like that. You know, it's, it's very quiet. You could hear a lot, but we were never quite alone. And I was not at all afraid of that house, not at all afraid of the dark, nothing. Like if I needed to get up in the middle of the night, I just got up in the middle of the night at that house. And, and again, like I said, you could hear coyotes walk by the window. So it's not like um, it was complete silence. Lauren's dad had started a farming business with a friend, 
But like all new enterprises, it required a lot of time and energy. 40-hour shifts, no vacation, and long work weeks. But by the time Lauren was seven, the business had grown enough and had stabilized to a point where the long shifts had ended and the family were able to afford a larger house in the suburbs. So in 2002, the family moved from their small farmhouse on the ranch into a 3,000 square foot home in the Burbs. This was a massive change for the family. They had gone from living in a rural countryside surrounded by golden hills, orchards, and cattle to a neat and tidy neighborhood in town. The moon and stars used to light the night for the family. Now street lights painted the sidewalks orange. Gone were the coyotes scurrying around in the bush, the bats flying from the eaves, and black-tailed jackrabbits frolicking in the fields. The abundant wildlife of the Central Valley was replaced with neatly manicured lawns, basketball hoops on the drive, and folks walking their dogs in the evenings. So this house was built in 1998. It was only a few years old when my parents bought it. Um, It is about 3,000 square feet, which going from a 500 square foot house for four of us to 3,000 square feet, it was like a castle, essentially. I mean, it was, it was a major difference in just the space we had and things to do in the space. And there was air conditioning and a pool. And um, while it did take us into the suburbs, my parents are very lucky that the house actually has quite a a decent sized yard as well. So the way that the house is, is laid out is the, when you walk in through the front doors, you have the living room, kitchen, a sitting room, and the dining room, and it's all very open. It's a ginormous open space. To the left, you have um, up in the front corner is my bedroom, and in the same hallway is a bathroom and my brother's bedroom. Behind my brother's bedroom is uh, the office, you know, a space for my parents to do paperwork, and my mom did all kind of crafting and things like that. And then on the right side of the house, in the front is the garage, and in the back is my parents' bedroom and bathroom. The front of the house is almost entirely windows. There's two ginormous windows um, that take up the sitting room and the dining room, like floor to ceiling. And then the back of the house is the same thing. It's windows all the way across. So at any given moment, you can see completely outside and in the front and completely outside in the backyard. I will say that I've had multiple of my friends tell me that the windows in my parents' house are terrifying. Um, When we'd have sleepovers, the only thing, I mean, nobody was ever afraid to sleep in my house. Nobody was ever afraid to be there or come over or anything like that. But something that my friends would say is if we were in the living room at night, or even if you're outside the house, that's what's, that's what's crazy about this. If you're inside the house or outside the house, you're almost afraid to look out the windows. The family were delighted with their new home, but it wasn't long before strange things started to occur within the house. My little brother, at the time we moved in, was about three. He was getting ready to turn four. Still to this day, is just the sweetest boy. We have a wonderful relationship. I'm so lucky. He's one of my best friends. We've never had that typical sibling must fight kind of relationship. It's never been like that for us. When we first moved in the house, Everything was like it normally was. You know, I slept in my bed. He slept in his bed. But at some point about, I want to say it was close to six months to a year after we moved into this house, 
kind of like a flip, a switch flipped for him. And he started sleeping in my bed every night. He stopped sleeping in his own room. Like he would try to fall asleep in his room, but in the middle of the night, he'd come and and, and get into my bed. It, it didn't bother me at all that he came to sleep in my bed at night. And what's funny about it is that I remember asking him why he wasn't sleeping in his own in his own room. And he would just say, it's scary in there, it's scary in there. But he couldn't quite tell me why it was scary in there, what was going on for him. Um, but he was he was too afraid to stay in there. This became the new nightly routine. Tanner would go to bed in his own room, yet every morning he would wake up in bed next to Lauren. The first major event happened around this time when he was sleeping in my bed every single night. So I remember the, the way that my bed was faced, my bed was up against the wall so I could see anybody that was walking in. Uh, and you know how you know the sound of your family's footsteps on carpet. You know who it is based on the footsteps. And I remember I was facing the wall. I had to be, this had to be within the first year of us living there. So I don't even think I was eight years old yet when this happened, but I was facing the wall and I heard footsteps like coming into my bedroom. And I thought, oh, it must be my brother. He got scared again. He's coming to sleep in bed with me. And I started to roll over. And as I was rolling over, I realized he's in bed with me already. Um, he's already laying here next to me and I can feel him. So then I think, you know, it crosses your mind really fast. Oh, you know, my mom and dad, my dad gets up really early. My mom will come in and check on us in the middle of the night if, if she's having nightmares or something, you know? So I thought maybe it's my parents. And as I roll over, I mean, I, I totally have goosebumps still thinking about it right now. Um, as I roll over, I can still hear the footsteps and I can hear them coming in. And in my doorway, there is a shadow, a, a very human-like shadow. You can kind of see like shoulders, head, um, but it doesn't go all the way to the ground. And you can't see feet, but I can still hear the footsteps and I can still see it coming. And seven-year-old me was like, nope. And I just rolled over and I, I just sat there in silence and eventually the footsteps stopped. And I just sat there staring at my wall until the morning. What's funny is I realized while we were getting ready for this podcast and for the interview, I never told my mom that story. I never told my parents any of that. However, that is the clear defining moment when I became afraid of the dark. That was the moment for Lauren when things shifted. But in some ways, it was a subtle shift. The home was and still is a very happy place with a tight-knit, loving family who love to entertain and share the home with their friends and family. Now, that being said, um, there definitely was, there, there were things that happened in the house and there are moments, even still to this day, where there is kind of a, a heavier feeling to it. I was never afraid to be alone in the house. I'm still not. If my parents aren't home and I need to go get something from their house, I have no problem going in there completely by myself. But there will be these moments where I'm totally fine. Everything's totally fine. But all of a sudden, then I start to feel like there's somebody else there or somebody watching me. And kind of that feeling that you know if you turn around, there will be something there, someone looking at you. And it's not all the time. It's not all the time. It's not even in every single room of the house. But every once in a while, you're kind of just like, those hairs on the back of your neck perk up and you're just like, oh, I'm not alone, right? 
one of the things that is a big example of this is my, the electronics in my brother's room were haywire all of the time. And what I mean by that is my brother would wake up in the middle of the night to um, his PS2, PlayStation 2, turning off and on in the middle of the night. You know, it makes like a beep, 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 beep. And it would turn on, turn off, turn on, turn off. Um, and it wasn't necessarily just that outlet. You know, these are things that we had checked out over time. It's, it wasn't necessarily those things, but he would turn his TV off. And I would remember my parents being like, hey, you need to turn your TV off. He would do it. I'd see him do it. And then 30 minutes later, we'd come back to the room or whatever, and it's still on. It wasn't just in Tanner's room where strange occurrences happened. The bathroom between the two kids' rooms would routinely sound like it was in use. Taps would be running, toilets flushing, shower door opening and closing. Yet, no one was in there. In Lauren's room, Furbies and Neopets used to go off in the night, and she would have to dig in the closet, pull them out, and turn them off. So it was just these things that you kind of like, you chalk up to, oh, it's a coincidence. Oh, um, you know, these things happen. This isn't anything paranormal or anything like that. So it wasn't until the really major big things happened um, that we kind of started to talk about it and realize like these were something else causing these things, right? Activity really ramped up in the house when Lauren was graduating from high school and preparing to leave for university. We, we have a house alarm. We have a house alarm. Um, it arms all the doors and the windows. My parents set it every single night. We've had it since I moved into that house. It's, it's been there forever. Um, and we have one sensor in, inside the house. There's only one. And it goes from back by the office, so the back left corner, to where the garage door is, which would be like the front right corner. So it, it's kind of diagonal across that big open space of our living room, kitchen, dining, um, sitting room. And that's the only one that's inside. We've never had indoor animals. All of my parents' animals have always been like outdoor cats or outdoor dogs, that kind of thing. So it's, we never really worried about it, never really thought about it because the only time that was on was when we weren't at home. You know, that sensor wasn't on when we were asleep at night. And this system has, you know, it's been worked on over time. It wasn't like this was an old system and it malfunctioned. But during my graduation, that's what's so wild, is it was during my graduation, while everybody is sitting up in the stands, um, the alarm went off. And it was that sensor that something was moving in the house. And so my, we got home and there's no broken windows, no broke, you know, no doors busted open. The only sensor that went off, no window, no door sensor went off. The only one that went off was the one inside the house. So something had to set it off, something moving. And mind you, it's California. So, you know, we've had situations where there's been earthquakes and things fall off the walls. And that doesn't even set the sensors off. That incident was the start of a very bizarre and very expensive summer. And then over that summer, over the course of June and July, and I... When I tell you this, I'm not kidding, even in the slightest, everything in our house broke. And I, I mean, the garage door broke, the washer, the dryer, the dishwasher, the oven, the microwave, the refrigerator, the TV, the house alarm, like everything broke. And it wasn't like a lot of these things were, you know, we had bought when we moved in the house. Some of these things had been replaced pretty recently. In between the flurry of replacing all of the electronics and appliances that summer, Lauren began the mammoth task of packing for college. 
I was packing about a week before. And so my mom was helping me pack. And we were just kind of, I was putting all of my stuff into the front sitting room. So like right by the doorway, just so that it would be easy to pack up later. And so I was just making this ginormous stack of things, all these pillows and sheets and books and all these things that are just going to go with me to college. I'm making this this pile. Right after we moved into the house, probably about a year, maybe two years after, it was not terribly long after we moved into the house, um, my parents built an entertainment center in the living room. So there was already a, a fireplace that was like a tile fireplace, and it kind of jutted out from the wall about a foot and a half, couple of feet. Uh, and so my mom wanted to build a whole entertainment center around it, make a mantle on top of it. It was beautiful. So they did, and, and it was gorgeous. Um, my parents have a wedding photo. Of course, when they got married in the 90s, they don't have any like, uh, they don't have them online. You know, they don't have these photos where they can reprint them. They don't, I don't even know that they have the film for these photos. So the photos that they have are the only photos of their wedding, right? And they have this gorgeous, it's about a two foot by three foot frame that has the photo of them at their wedding. Um, and that's been on the mantle since they built it. So at least since 2004, probably 2003, this photo has been up on the mantle. So the, the mantle over the fireplace sits out about maybe about seven inches from the entertainment center. So it, it's got a pretty good lip on it. Um, and the photo, this is a five pound frame easily. It is not a little frame at all. The frame was not nailed to the wall, but rather sitting up on the mantle, leaning against the wall. At some point, one Christmas, a family friend of ours had made this cute little craft for us for our mantle, where they had taken um, pieces of two by four and they had cut them at about like, you know, kind of photo size. And they mod podged photos on them and then had them spell out family. So there's these six blocks that spell out family that sit in front of the photo. So while I was packing for college and I was kind of making this pile of stuff, I was walking from my bedroom to the kitchen, which was, you know, from one side of the front of the house to the other side. And at the same time, my mom happened to be crossing from her bedroom into the office, which would have been, you know, us kind of moving at the same time on opposite sides of the house in different directions, crossing the living room. And as we crossed at the same time, the photo fell off the wall. And when I say it fell off the wall, I don't mean, oh, it slid down and it fell off the wall. I mean, when we got to it, when we walked over to it, I, we saw it come up off the wall. It had to have come up off the wall because it's, it was leaning up against the wall. And it nose dove off the top of the mantle so that the top of the frame hit the floor and the blocks are still on the mantle. So my mom and I kind of looked at each other and we picked the frame up off the floor and the frame has a little bit of damage on the top, um, but the photo's okay. So, you know, the, the photo's okay, but there's a little bit of damage on the top of the frame. And we kind of just looked at each other and we didn't say anything. And she just very gently put it back where it was. Um, made sure that the blocks were all nice and straight again, and we went about our business. Two days before Lauren left for college, her mom and dad were resting on the couch watching TV while she finished up the last bits and pieces of packing. 
and I just put the last thing that I could pack in advance in place. And so I came over to the couch and I sat down and I was like, oh, I'm finished packing. I'm done. We're ready to go. My dad paused the TV. We, we were just starting to talk about all the little things that I would need to grab before when it flew off the wall again. And this time, the three of us are literally sitting, staring at it. So it wasn't like we just walked past it and could say, I don't know what happened. You know, we were sitting there watching it. And again, it has to come up off the wall. It has to jump over these six inch tall blocks and then it nosedove. And this time it did scratch up the photo a little bit. Um, so it nosedove and it, it hit right on the tile of the edge of the fireplace. And we sat there in silence, just complete silence. Finally, after I swear, it felt like five minutes. I'm sure it was only like a minute and a half, but I, after a little while, I finally looked at my parents and I was like, I am not getting up. <laughs> you guys are on your own. Um, and eventually my dad did get up and he grabbed the frame and he kind of looked at it and the scratch is very minor. You can't really tell. Um, but he went and put it in the office. We didn't put it back up. And I've asked my mom, <laughs> I asked my mom, I was like, so why didn't you ever put it back up? And she's like, I can't afford that frame. To, I can't afford for that photo to get damaged. Um, there's, I, I don't have another one. So I, if I put it back up there and, and that happens again, I have I have nothing. I can't, I can't place it. After Lauren left for college, things quieted down. That is, until it was time for her brother to head away for university. So my, my dad and my brother decide right before my brother is going to go to college. Um, they decide that they're going to go on one last camping trip when it's about three in the morning. I'm asleep in my own bedroom. My mom's asleep in her bedroom. It's just the two of us. Um, the fire alarm starts going off. And I don't mean like beep, beep, change my battery. I mean like full on, get out, there's a fire, you need to go now, kind of blaring. And it's 3 a.m., that's a terrifying noise to wake up to at three in the morning. Um, what's crazy about that is that there's no fire. There's absolutely nothing to set it off. The alarm that's going off is one that's right outside my hallway in the living room. There's about one five feet from it in the sitting room. There's another one about five feet from it right near the door of my bedroom. And then there's another one in the bathroom about four feet from it and another one about 10 feet from it in my brother's bedroom. And this one is full on blazing, get out, there's a fire. None of the other ones are going off. There's nothing else to suggest that it would go off. We, we don't have any candles, no anything. And, and again, it's only five feet from, maybe not even five feet, maybe about four feet from the one in the sitting room. So if there was a fire or something that would have set that one off, it would have set the other ones off as well, the close ones. Um, it probably took us a good 30 minutes to find a ladder that could get us all the way up there because even like the bar chair is not, we weren't tall enough to stand on and still turn it off. Um, but it, it went off and her and I, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, all right, so we're up for the day. Um, that's, that's our sign. That is, it knows Tanner's leaving, the house knows, and it just wants us to know that it knows. So what is going on in this house? What could possibly be the cause for all of this really strange yet seemingly time-sensitive activity? Well, depends on who you ask. 
If you ask Lauren, it's one thing. And if you ask her mom, it's something entirely different. So my my mom and I have very differing opinions about what is going on in the house. And after talking to her about all the things that have been going on, we've kind of like sat down and put together every single little thing all kind of in a row in a timeline. I kind of am starting to lean a little more towards her thinking of things, but it's really hard to say. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that as I go through. My personal feelings have always been that whatever is in the house, it doesn't particularly like change. All of our major events happen when there's big changes coming for our family. Um, you know, the events of me seeing the figure, that was right not too far after we moved into that house. And so for me, that was that's what sparked the original, it doesn't like change, because that was a big change, just moving into the house. We came into its space. My mom really feels like it's our family members. My mom is Hispanic and Italian, Catholic on both sides. So as you can imagine, I have a ton of cousins. <laughs> um, I have a lot, a lot, a lot of family. And so growing up, death was a normal part of life for us. Every year someone died. We're not unfamiliar with grief and loss and death. For Lauren's mom, all of this activity is a positive confirmation that their loved ones can see them. They are acknowledging the big changes and celebrations in their lives and just checking in to let her know that they're still around. For me, I've never had that feeling that it was family. It's not necessarily that I've had bad feelings from the experiences, but I've had situations where it's like, I feel like I would know if it was my grandpa or if it was my great grandmother. Like I, I, I just, I feel like I, I feel like I would feel it. Um, I absolutely refuse to speak to it. I don't go in the house and say, oh, we're here or anything like that. Like I, I don't want to give it any power over that because if it's not family, I don't want to invite anything greater than what we already have. Um, if it is something that is malicious or anything like that, I'm, I am for sure not trying to talk to it. I don't mess around with Ouija boards. I refuse to bring any of that into the house. I don't know where I sit on this. I totally believe that it could be past loved ones. I want to believe that it's past loved ones. But I also understand Lauren's hesitation. If it was grandma, wouldn't you know it's her? And why wasn't there paranormal activity in the farmhouse? It only started when they moved into the new home. Then again, they used to live on the family ranch, which had been within the family for over a hundred years. Perhaps once they left that space, their past loved ones felt they needed to connect with them more. They also lost more intimate loved ones while they were in that home, like Lauren's grandparents and great-grandparents. More than anything, though, I do believe that while whatever energy this is is not hurting or upsetting anyone, I think this family is totally fine to live in their spirit at home, whoever they're sharing it with. Do you have a spooky story you'd like to share? I'd love to hear it. Drop me an email at thewestlondonwitch at gmail.com or come find us on Instagram and Facebook. If you have a theory as to what may be going on in this home, let us know. 
come interact with us on social media and head on over to Instagram and Facebook for some special photos from today's episode. Until next time, Mary meet, Mary part, and Mary meet again. The West London Witch is created by me, Rebecca Strazina. Our sound designer and production magician is the incredible Danny Cross. Our theme music was bespokely written and performed by the wickedly talented Kyle Hall. Our cover art is the beautiful collaboration between Lizzie Wilson and Jake Bowser. Special thanks to Miss Sinead Bowers, our quality control and biggest cheerleader. And thank you to you, all of our listeners all over the world. These are your stories. Thank you for sharing them with us.